This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our living rooms, as we practice social distancing, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with the Vasquez family, the team behind Whiplash. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, Please rate and review us on Podbean, Player FM, CastBox, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots, or you can check out our website at www.behindthebots.com. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have eight news items for you today. First up, updates from the mysterious and much-anticipated new robot, Hijinx. Last week, we reported that the team was 3D printing a mysterious circular object and invited people to speculate on what it might be used for. This week, we learned that they're ablative hubcaps. The team writes, quote, we love the shiny gold and purple anodized aluminum hubs and were uh, concerned about direct hits to the wheel. These ablative hubcaps will provide a lightweight layer of protection. Hijinx has still not publicly revealed its design, which we all eagerly await. Uh, hubcaps, you guys, uh, they are hubcaps. <laughs> In order to have hubcaps, they are capping hubs. Hijinx officially has hubs. hubs. I mean, no, no, Chris, we don't know that, okay? We have no idea if they have hubs. These could just be hubcaps decoratively applied anywhere on the bot. We don't know <laughs> anything. Maybe they're wubcaps. There could be wubcaps. They could be decorative earrings on the weapon of the bot. <laughs> now, I feel I feel like hijinks. You know, it's 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 you know taken on quite quite a quite a life of its own. At least in our imagination. Uh, you know, I feel like I've heard more conspiracy theories about hijinks at least among this friend group, than any other robot appearing at the 2020 season of BattleBots. The layers of this thing go deep. There's, yeah. there's a, a lot of mystery, intrigue, uh, conspiracy going on. And, you know, uh, frankly, you know, it's it's time to get to the bottom of it. All right. I, I'm, I'm going to accuse the builders of a little bit of collusion uh, because we ask... Almost every single builder at the end of our interviews after we stopped recording, please tell us what you know about hijinks. And this thing has like 19 wheels. It's got 14 weapons. Like it's, <laughs> it's incredible. All right. Um, this past week, I, I will reveal that I got a mysterious message from an anonymous writer who, oh, God. Uh, who also added some new information. I obviously can't, can't reveal what it is, but if it's true, Hijinx, 
the coolest bot I've ever heard of. No, no, I still say that that's completely shenanigans information. None of that is accurate. There's no way that that's what it is. <laughs> All right, now Kyle, you, I, I want to hear what your, what your, uh, which, what your theory is about about hijinks. What, what have you heard? I think that hijinks is a neon pink Jabberwock inspired robot that walks on tracked feet. No. They can walk on feet that track around and the giant <laughs> hubs uh, protect those tracked feet on either side from impact. And I think that that's why we hear things like Will Bale saying that it will have interesting moving dynamics because there's just no reason to have tracked feet. But for some reason, hijinks does. And perhaps that is the hijinks that they're talking about. The, right, the, guys, I also have a theory <laughs> okay. Okay, what? All right. Now, my hijinks theory goes pretty deep. Are you ready for this? Hijinks is a four-wheel drive vertical spinner. <laughs> oh! Now, you listen to me right now, Jen Herkenroder and Orion Beach. If you come to BattleBots with a four-wheel vert, I will literally quit watching TV. Small <laughs> TV. I will That's be it. done. This, this is my fake moon landing. Hijink <laughs> is a four-wheel drive vertical spinner, and from now on, on Behind the Bots, when we introduce hijinks, we will say four-wheel drive vertical spinner hijinks. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You're saying it's like a pizza box with four off-the-shelf wheels and just a basic vertical spinner. Is that right? It is a Dollar General... Uh, bite force. <laughs> I invite the team behind hijinks to come back on the show and talk to us a little bit about exactly what it is. If they, if they want to counter my, my theory that it is a four wheel drive <laughs> vertical spinner and now with a plate of hubcaps. <laughs> I would that so much. Kyle, I, I, I want to understand. So you believe that this is a walker bot that has treads. So like the way that I'm imagining this in my head is it's kind of like roller skates, right? Yes, like yes, exactly. But on like a weird jabber, like neon pink jabberwock looking creature, right? Okay, that is crazy. If it's true, we will have just guessed that because that is not part of any of the... Uh, I'm trying the, to put together all the clues, and when you put them all together with what we have, that's what pops into my brain, and I can't get that image out of my brain, so I think that's what it is. I think if, it's a hover bot. Oh. Oh. Do they get a weight bonus for that? What? It they, hovers on four <laughs> wheels. <laughs> That it uses to steer its vertical spinner. It hovers with half-inch ground clearance on four wheels. No! Uh, I would hate well, that so much. And I'm so sad that you introduced that idea into my brain, Chris. <laughs> well, the, the mystery continues. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm ready and willing to take all conspiracy theories related to hijinks. Uh, I love them all. Um, on over to extinguisher captain John Flack, who posted drive video this weekend of his new and improved bot, which is capable of doing 35 miles per hour in the battle box. So, uh, 
if you do the math, uh, that's roughly 51 feet per second. And given the BattleBots dimensions of 48 feet square, that means Extinguisher will theoretically be able to box rush its opponent in under one second. John writes, quote, if you only do the throttle halfway, it goes to 15 and so forth. We want the potential to have a rapid box rush as well as a GTFO for a sticky situation. Kyle, did you get a chance to watch this video? Uh, yeah, and it's a zippy bot, and it looks like fun, and I was really worried about all of those stacks of pallets in that parking lot that they were going to destroy them. Um, yeah, no, this thing's great. I think John's having a lot of fun driving it, and I think it's really cool that he has so much time to practice with it right now. It's capable of drifting, which is pretty cool. Um, I would love to see some drifting action in the battle box. Um, I think that its ability to cross the battle box in one second, I mean, even if you take it at its furthest point, you know, as a diagonal, 1.3 seconds, um, the ability to zip over to one side in one second and be back in their opponent's face in another second after drifting, I think is super, super cool like new paint job, new wheels. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that John is is working on some really cool stuff with this bot. Really can't wait to see it in, uh, in, in action. A quick update to a story we brought you last week. The team behind the scary vertical spinner Monsoon posted a photo showing exactly how much smaller their bot will be this year compared to 2019. It is remarkable if you haven't seen this. Uh, if if you just looked at the robot, you'd think that it was a middleweight sitting next to a heavyweight. Like it is remarkably smaller. Um, the the new monsoon has gone completely brushless. It's now ultra compact, and all of its extra weight is now going into its armor and uh, shoring up its pivot points, um, so that when it uh, you know gets gets inverted. Um, it doesn't fall apart. The uh, new bot weighs in at just 244 pounds, giving the team another six pounds of weight to play with this season. I had a chance to uh, catch up with them, and they said, you know, given the new substantially smaller size, they're actually, and this is a big, this is a big news drop, they're going to be changing the name uh, Monsoon to Squall. <laughs> 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 South Korea's team Orbi this week posted photos of the inside of their bots, and it is gorgeous. Put builder Chang Yu Huang in the same class of meticulous builders like Duck Captain Hal Rucker and Bloodsport Captain Justin Marble. Check out photos on the team's Facebook page. Kyle, I know you've been talking to uh, to Team Orbi. Uh, this bot, incredible. Every single time that they post a photo of anything they're doing, it's just meticulous like i think that's the right word for it you know um like they're paying attention to all of the tiny details this bot looks like a work of art um yeah like let's talk a little bit about how the sausage gets made so i've been talking to them about you know coming on the show and like what we can do to make it work and the time differences and all that fun stuff and um you know they are so detail oriented trying to figure out exactly how you know, the questions are going to be framed just to make sure that, like, they can understand and translate it to English properly and, you know, that they're answering the right, the right questions without um, damaging any of the expectations with the show. And I was like, none of our guests are like, everybody's so willy-nilly, you know? Like, let's just get together and talk <laughs> about robots. Um, yeah. No, he's, he's great. 
this robot is going to be so much fun. I loved watching Orbi on King of Pots. Um, so uh, just on a personal point, my wife is Korean, so my children are both, you know, half Korean. And uh, when we watched King of Bots together, I was, like, really proud to point out to them that that was the Korean bot, you know. Wow. And they thought that it was so beautiful and so cool. My son calls it the Spaceship Tombstone, um, hmm. which I love. I think that's a great name for it. So I'm personally really rooting for them to, like, do well, come out here and do great. Um, and man, I hope we get them on the show soon. They're awesome. Yeah. Robot illustrator Caleb Kempson this week published pages three and four from his new BattleBots comic book, continuing the match against Scorpios and Nellie the Elliebot. In these pages, Nellie loses her bonker head and Scorpios gets hung up on an arena hazard. If you want to check out the comic yourself, we'll include a link to Caleb's coffee page in this week's show notes. Another video this week from the Deep Six Garage, where the team demonstrated that their massive vertical disc spinner is capable of self-writing when tipped flat on its head. An earlier video showed how the bot could self-write when it was partially tipped over with only two points of contact on the floor. Speaking of unconventional designs, Team Malice this week revealed they've built a second frame, which they plan to take to the 2020 season of BattleBots. Responding to build questions from their fans, the team said both bots had been machined in California by machine shops in Santa Clara and Los Angeles. And finally, Kraken Captain Matt Spurk this week delighted BattleBots fans by encouraging builders to post photos of their pets. First up, BattleBots co-creator Trey Roski, who posted a photo of his dogs. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I know you haven't seen this, this photo, so I'm curious, uh, Price is Right rules, how many dogs do you think Trey Roski owns closest while not going over? Lindsay, how many dogs? I I can't guess because I saw the photos. Oh no, Lindsay, don't say it. I know. So I'm I'm just gonna uh abstain. <laughs> okay. Uh Chris, how many dogs do you think Trey Roski owns? My guess is that he has 24 so he can do his uh, own tournament in his backyard. His own Desperado <laughs> tournament in his own backyard. Uh, uh, all right, 24. Uh, closest without going over, Kyle, how many dogs do you think Trey Rowski owns? Man, 24 is a lot of dogs. Um, <laughs> if you say 25, you get all of the numbers above that. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that, but that's that seems risky. I don't know. You know, I guess because he's got the helicopter license, he could technically fly anywhere to get dog food. <laughs> How um, many style? I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess twenty six. Uh, you guys, Trey Roski has forty seven dogs. Oh wait, I didn't even know that. Whoa. What? Oh my goodness, I was making a joke. I just don't understand how how can you remember that many names of just people, much less dogs. Uh, no, I'm I'm joking. He, he has he has seven dogs. He has oh. seven. <laughs> this is a giant number. That is that is six dogs too many. All right. <laughs> that is so many. That is so many poop bags. <laughs> uh, yeah. Trey Trey posted a a photo of his dogs making a pinwheel. Uh, eating out of a giant uh, bowl of kibble, which I think is uh, pretty pretty cute. Um, but yeah, seven seven dogs for for Trey. Um, on over to Florida, where the builder behind Ultimo Destructo has an unconventional pet named Tucker, 
Any guesses on this Floridian's unconventional pet? Alligator. Lindsay. Alligator. You think Tucker is an alligator. How about you, Chris? Uh, it's Florida. Florida. Um, geez. I would say somebody who huffs paint through a sock. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> No? That's no. A good, that's a good okay, I'm going to say, uh, I don't know, uh, snake. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Tropical, I love it. Uh, Kyle, any, any guesses on, on what Tucker Tucker is? What type of animal? Um, an iguana. <laughs> an iguana. Uh, Tucker's a pig. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good pet. I've always wanted to have a cute little pig. And uh, just destroy my backyard. So uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, was, I was gonna say, didn't I hear once that that's a myth? Like there's no such thing as baby pigs or tiny pigs. Like they they all grow up to be that giant. Is a pig, and someone buys yeah. a teacup pig because they have a a cute little studio apartment somewhere, and the next thing they know, they have a 350 pound swine living in their backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've always heard. Um, and finally, in uh, perfect segues, the team behind Whiplash has a very cute dog named Willie and an unconventional pet named Fred. Now, as we have already interviewed the family, we know all about Fred. But Fred is one of the coolest pets I've ever heard of. So stay tuned. We'll get to it in like an hour. Uh, you have to hear all about Fred. And uh, that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with the Vasquez family, Jeff, Debbie, Matthew, Jason, and Fred, the team behind Whiplash. This week on the podcast, we have four very special guests. The Vasquez family, Jeff, Debbie, Matthew, and Jason, who make up the very popular, very successful traveling music band <laughs> slash team behind Whiplash. Jeff and Debbie have been building and competing with combat robots since the early 2000s when Matthew and Jason were infants, literally growing up with robots as uh, brothers and sisters. The family has since fielded dozens of bots in every weight class, most recently competing at BattleBots with the articulated lifter vertical disc spinner Whiplash, which lost just two matches last year to Witch Doctor and Tombstone. Outside of the battle box, Jeff builds and drives robots for TV shows, movies, and commercials, which is an incredibly cool side hustle. We're looking forward to getting into all these topics in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Jeff, Debbie, Matthew, and Jason. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey. Thanks Great for having us here. Awesome. I'm, we're so glad to have you guys here. This is this is going to be fantastic. So uh, normally when we do an introduction, it's a little easier with one person, so since we're we got a whole family here. Let's do this round robin style. Jeff, can you introduce Debbie? And then Debbie, can you introduce Jeff? Matthew, can you then introduce Jason? And Jason, could you then introduce Matthew? Sounds good. Sure. You ready? You're up. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Robomom, Debbie Vasquez. She's um, in charge of everything non-mechanical on our team she does all the the facebook the social media organizing getting us um to and from places um getting buying us supplies um she's all around 
she's all around robot mom to to even more than our family. She's a lot of a lot of BattleBot competitors call her mom. So uh, that's that's the best compliment anyone could give her. So there's Debbie. Say hi, Debbie. Hi. Um... And I typically only really like it when the younger BattleBot people call me mom, <laughs> when the older BattleBot uh, people call me mom. <laughs> um, okay, I'm introducing Jeff. Jeff Vasquez. Uh, he's really, truly robo-dad. He's been doing this for a really long time. Um, he loved it originally and then was kind of getting out of it. And then when the kids came along and really loved the sport, he got back into it just to kind of support them. And um, he's a great all-around kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Matthew, obviously our driver and main designer for Whiplash. He goes to Cal Poly Pomona studying electromechanical engineering. And yeah, he's kind of, I'd say the backbone for Whiplash, driver, designer, and I'd say the face of it too. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason is my younger brother. He goes to Chico State, studies, he's a freshman, or was, he's going into his second year at Chico State, studying mechanical engineering. He mountain bikes and is BMX, and he is one of the, the three builders on our team that, uh, you know, works in the pits to help fix and uh, works in the garage building the robot. This this is just incredible to have a family of, you know, such across the board technical knowledge can you share with us and share with the listeners what it's like to have like a team that's also a family unit uh it's, it's a lot different than other teams in the sense that most teams they you know meet and talk to each other like maybe like once a week or just like text each other or like maybe not even till like it's time to build for the season because with us we all live together so it's kind of like team meetings are just all the time is we don't really have to put time aside to like meet at like a makerspace or something. It's just we're all here 24-7, which I think has been a pretty big advantage for us that we could, you know, discuss things so frequently and, you know, throw ideas at each other and just just talk about the robot. And I'd say there's a lot of pros and cons. Like as a family, we obviously get to talk more with each other and we have a lot more time to do things and it's a lot easier to kind of just say things since it's family. Like, I don't know. And then I'd say some of the things that make it a little more difficult are just with Matthew and I going away to school more. We're not here as often. Since we're a family team, we aren't really looking to recruit new people necessarily that could help. And just, I don't know, families work things out differently. It's definitely interesting doing a job slash TV show with my family, but and, and it works out pretty well. In the last couple of years, like, it's nice that we're all together, but in a sense, it's almost backfired with us going away to college that where normal teams, they're just a team because most of the time they live around each other or live near each other. With us, we kind of all separated from each other the last two years. So it's it's kind of backfired in that sense. But we've, we've managed to figure out ways to, you know, for us to come home and work on it whenever we can or, you know, very strategically work on the robot. Like for winter break, I'll come home and just work on designing and building for, you know, three weeks straight and things like that. So you guys are, you're based in Southern California. Which part? Yeah, we're in Ventura County. Mm -hmm. um, so can you share with us a little bit about, like, what, what in the era now of COVID-19, what's what's life like down there? Uh, where we live, it seems things are opening a little bit faster than other places just because it's not so population dense here, like in L.A. or a lot of other places. 
So we're not hit as hard as I think most people, I would say, but it's still, we're still being cautious, obviously, and it's still, still very strange. Yeah, we're lucky. I mean, you know, we live in Newberry Park, Thousand Oaks, and and basically um, it's kind of a little bit off the beaten path. Um, I've been going to into work uh, constantly. So since, you know, we, we haven't had been, I haven't been shut away from work, uh, turned away from work rather. So I've been going in and, and my company has been functioning that I work at, Megat, who is also our sponsor our um, title sponsor. So it's, we've been a little bit insulated from, from the real hardcore pandemic part of it, but uh, you know, it still affects us day to day. We still can't get toilet paper and (laughs) (laughs) important things. Yeah. Have you, um, have you all been staying tuned to the, uh, some of the the thoughts on safety precautions that are going on uh, the BattleBots community in regards to potentially filming this year? Uh, you know, I know that, you know, you know, builders have had some, you know, heard some rumors and, you know, Trey and Greg have chimed in a little bit. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on precautions for the show around COVID-19? So they sent out to all the teams, all the precautions and like Trey was talking about it on your podcast or when he was on your show that they're going to send us all like a sort of details on, you know, when they hold the event, what precautions they will take and how the event will be run. And it's, I mean, we are through it and we think it addresses, you know, all the concerns that we would have. I think the biggest concern or one of the concerns for people about it is that a lot of the reason people go to BattleBots is because, you know, it's fun. You get to hang out with people. You get to talk to them. You get to, you know, socialize after the event. And with all this, you know, COVID stuff going on, that's not really going to be so much of an option anymore. So Mm -hmm. I think that kind of has people concerned. But I think the safety aspect, I think what they sent us, I think it would, I think they did a good job. Very, very thorough, very well thought out. Um, I couldn't think of one thing really that they missed in it so far as taking precautions. Um, But like Matt said, I think a lot of the teams, it's just kind of, COVID's kind of sucking the fun out of it. Do you guys have any thoughts for how they might be able to kind of, you know, work with that to still like keep some of the, the social aspect of it? Uh, it's, it's hard. Cause you can't even really have, cause I mean, in previous seasons you'd have, you know, you know, the one thing you do every day is you'd have like probably two builders meetings a day where everyone goes, sits in this giant couch area with all the TVs, and, you know, Greg and Trey and some of the producers will, you know, host a big meeting and, you know, tell us what's going on. And, you know, we can't even really do that anymore. It'd be all over zoom or, you know, just through email or something like that. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't really see much socializing going on if BattleBots was to happen in the next, you know, month or next few months or whenever they decide to do it, if COVID's still around. Yeah, there's a lot of aspects of the tournament where, you know, wait, even when you're in line waiting to fight where the teams are mingling and you're talking and you're laughing and, you know, you go through all the, the, pre, the pre-fight fun such, you know, such that it is. And sharing tools and, and, you know, just all these kind of things. We're all inter- intermingling. It's fun because it's all of our friends. And, you know, we're in one crazy shit together. So it's going to be a little bit weird for everyone. The dynamic will be different if, if we are separated into groups or, you know, kind of quarantine, mini quarantines within the event. Or even so. something as simple as like going around the pits. And because you guys have been to events, like people – competitors walk around the pits and they'll look at all the other, you know, competitor robots and all the other teams and see yeah. what they've built and, you know, kind of 
kind of spy on the robot before they fight them. And that's not really an option anymore, I don't think. I mean, as far as I know, I don't I don't know if they'd allow us to do things like I that. I think Greg said that they're going to figure out a way so we can scope out the competition. <laughs> yeah, but it, it won't be the same. I mean, that's that's the main point I'm making. Yeah. yeah. You'll, uh, you'll have to bring binoculars to the... Uh, to the- <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I, I'd love to, I'd love to, to kind of go back in time to 2001 and, um, BattleBot season three and just kind of bring us back to that time. Um, how did you first learn about combat robotics as a thing? And what was the spark that drove you to build two robots to, to enter and compete that year? Okay, so here's the deal. So since I was a little kid a long, long time ago, I loved RC airplanes and cars and everything, but I never had the money to do it. When I finally got old enough to do it, I started racing RC airplanes, but mainly I raced RC boats, fast electric boats. So um, one of my sponsors was Astroflight, and he had a flyer in there for – for Long Beach, um, the BattleBots tournament in Long Beach. And I couldn't go because I had a boat race that weekend. But I was so intrigued. And from there, you know, I'd I'd seen little things of it on the news, you know, because it was very, very uh, new to everyone, you know, robots fighting, robot wars, BattleBots, all that kind of thing. So um, when I saw, I got the Long Beach pay-per-view and – I just decided right there, I am doing that. Something just clicked in me, and I was just completely hooked and enthralled. And the boys were just little then, and and um, but you know, I I just did a complete 180. I sold 90% of my boat stuff. I kept all the stuff that I could use. I actually was able to use in my my first robots, uh, Matt Spammer and Debbot. There were boat things that all my boat batteries was able to use the NICADs, the motors. I mean, so I had a really good background in all that and I could drive well. I had a great radio system and everything. So it kind of, I kind of had a flying, you know, I flew into it full speed with both feet. Most people took one robot. I took two. And the reason I took two is because I was going to build a lightweight, but it was too heavy. So I basically just cut it in half and made a lightweight and a middleweight. So, um, that's how that came about, but I loved it. And you know, back then at, at and at Treasure Island, it was just—I'll never forget the feeling when I went there. I had it was an energy like I've never felt in my life, and um, it was so so cool and so new and so so creative, and and it was just an amazing experience except the bathrooms were horrible but that's a battlebot thing so <laughs> anyway they 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 seriously battlebots cannot have decent bathrooms it's impossible it's <laughs> part of the thing the the crapper is crap oh. all the time <laughs> it's horrible so anyway I, I i'm i'm so interested in um how you how you designed your first robots. Like, I feel like it's difficult to kind of like visualize what would be effective. And for a lot of people, their first robots are not that great. And, you know, they have a lot of really giant ideas, you know, like how did you come up with the design for Matt Spammer and and DevBot? 
Um, basically, so DeathBot was actually the first robot. And it was, believe it or not, modeled after Biohazard, which has a four-bar lifter. The arm goes up and out. So I modified the four-bar lifter. Um, my uh, The arm on DeathBot had the same motion up and out, but I didn't have room for the for the... For the three and the, the number three and four bars, so I just made a slide mechanism. So the uh, front had a two bar. It was like two bars and a roller, <laughs> and that was basically the design that I, I liked. So it was a lifter, and you know I built it out of aluminum because I knew how to work with it, and it's readily available. I could get it, and you know I didn't know what I was doing, but I just did it. You know I just kind of had from from RC Sports from from the boats and everything, believe it or not. And I, I had an idea of proportion and what the power requirements would be. I could do the math and got the gear ratios right. So, um, you know, I built DevBot. And like I said, it was it came in at like 110 pounds. but And I thought it was going to be a lightweight. But so I basically just had an extra frame and I just cut it in half and made it into a wedge. And that was Matt Spammer. So, you know, they were all made out of eighth-inch aluminum. They wouldn't last two seconds in the arena now. But, you know, back then they were fun. And, and my first fight was Matt Spammer against um, Jim Yeh. Um, uh, what? Robo... What? Robo Master. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been... And, and Forrest, his son, who's on his team, you know, for for um, with Gary Jinn and everybody, uh, was just a little kid back then. I mean, he was like you know, six years old. And so now all our, all our little boys are grown up men and uh, it's pretty crazy. I, you know, you've been to so many competitions now over the years. It feels like, I mean, from the outside that Comedy Central like felt different, like the energy was different. It was like very much, you had no idea what robot was going to come in through the doors. You know, like a lot of garage builders, a lot of tinkerers yeah. and just, just wild designs. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why people love the the like original run of the show. Right. Um, you know, did you see like some really cool designs back then? Did you oh. meet builders, you know, that really blew you away? Absolutely. They were all killer designs. I mean, when Waiachi walked in the door with those robots with, with Son of Waiachi and I mean the they had shirts and uniforms and, they, and those robots were just like I mean I'd never seen gears that big at that up until that time. It was just, you know, works of art and the old judge, you know, Yasha and, and those guys, amazing. I mean, there was a lot more art bots, you know, bots were a lot more creative back then. You know, there were a lot more wedges, which, you know, is it is what it is, but the robots that weren't wedges were usually pretty interesting. You know, I mean, there was a lot more, you know, some guy uses a walk and, you know, makes it into a killer robot, you know, Ziggo. I mean, you know, there was a lot more kind of household utensils and hardware in it as opposed to now where it's a lot more CNC and, and exotic metals, you know. So, yeah, there was an energy and a creativity, and it was like this big – I can't even explain it to you. And, and that's was, that's also what you get when you open the competition to literally anyone who wants to enter. Yeah. And when you have 500 robots there yeah. compared to, you know, having 50 or 60 robots of BattleBots that are, you know – very carefully selected from teams they want to have and when you have just 500 robots from everywhere from anyone yeah that's what you get yeah and the other thing is back then 
everyone paid to enter and everyone paid to stay and everyone we had to pay for everything so not only did you have to build your robots you had to get yourself there stay in a hotel for a week and it was crazy time so there was a certain amount of creativity and adrenaline and craziness that you know it will be very hard to capture again but it was it was unbelievably fun it was just an amazing experience i can't even explain it did you um did you find that that your robots improved between season two three and four like were you learning oh. things um like along the way Absolutely. I stole ideas from everybody. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, seriously, that's, that's the truth. Um, you know, everyone does, but, but I did. And, and I learned a ton of stuff and, and uh, you know, I was lucky cause I had a little bit of success and I, I, I won my first matches. So it was like, I thought I, I had it all together. And then, you know, of course you get killed at some point in the tournament and it was single elimination. So, you know, can you imagine you spend all that time and money on a robot and you get killed and you go home the first fight? Yeah. Um, I was lucky I didn't have to do that. And, and um, so, um, but yeah, you, you get all kinds of knowledge and you learn and you find out the good hardware, the good batteries, the good speed controllers and all that. And, and, uh, you go for it, you improve your design. So in 2002, um, just when Comedy Central, I feel like was really hit, hitting its stride. I mean, like the show was great. It was huge. Yeah. Like hundreds of thousands of people were watching it. Like so much excitement around it. Like BattleBots goes dark. Yeah. And then there's this this period, like this 13 year period before it comes back on ABC. I'm curious, you know, for your family, where were you in 2002? Like um, where, you know, I did you continue to build during this period? Can you kind yeah. of catch us up on those 13 years? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So basically I went to uh, BattleBots and uh, BattleBots season three, four, and five. That was all on Treasure Island. And that was every six months. It was twice a year. And the boys were babies then. They came and watched watched the events then. Um, and what happened was, honestly, when BattleBots uh, season six was canceled, uh, it was like a relief because it was so hard and so expensive and so time consuming and, and difficult. I would have gone and done it, but it was kind of a relief. Like I felt like I got a breather, but you know, be careful what you wish for. And then, um, you know what, it, through some really brave, crazy nut job individuals picked the sport up and there's a couple guys. Um, one in particular is not with us anymore. Steve Judd, who, really just picked up the mantle and, and uh, the guy who did Greenspan, um, he did steel conflict and, you know, Steve Robo. Brown. Yeah. Steve Brown and Steve Judd and, and judge Dave, you know, so between steel conflict and robo games um, and other miscellaneous tournaments, you know, I never went back east to any, but Fuzzy started up his robot bar and grill, and Brian Ave had uh, Battle Beach, you know, and there was the, um, still um, Bots IQ and all that kind of stuff. So these people really picked it up um, and kept it kept it going for us. So we had somewhere to play with our toys. And it's it's really Steve Judd really did it. Not a lot of people know, but he he was on um, team. He was on Death by Monkeys, and he really helped Dave with Robo Games and everything. He really was the backbone in a lot of ways. So yeah, 
they 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 kept it going and we kept going you know i went to steel conflict and and robo games and everything and then you know i did that for like three or four years pretty consistently and then i just kind of missed one every you know missed an event or two <clears throat> and then i was going to maybe get into auto racing or something and the boys kind of go hey that looks you know we'd always stayed building lego battle bots and everything at home uh, the boys were at least. And then, so when they kind of got, got old enough to know their right hand from their left hand and everything, <laughs> you know, they got interested and, you know, kind of sucked me back in and the rest is history. I really want to dig into that. So, you know, for, for Matthew and Jason, what, what are some of your earliest memories of robotics? And, um, can you tell us about that experience of wanting to build combat robots as, as a kid? I think BattleBots probably is my earliest memory, to be honest. <laughs> That's like if I think back to my earliest memories, it would be BattleBots, like being at Comedy Central BattleBots when I was, you know, three, four years old, but uh, or being at home with BattleBots toys and you know all that stuff. So it's I'm kind of in the rare position where I'm maybe one of the only competitors that's kind of or one of the very few that's been in it my whole life and doesn't really know life without it kind of <laughs> in a way and same with jason yeah i always like to say like when i was growing up i didn't know other people didn't have battle bots in their garage I <laughs> like a bike or a baseball bat <laughs> you just kind of have one <laughs> but uh yeah it's it was definitely something that i was very obsessed with when i was you know a little kid and it kind of just and it's sort of the obsession kind of went, went away with my dad a little bit when, you know, BattleBots went off the air and after a few years of doing like Steel Conflict and events like that, just because they're so like taxing and it takes so much energy to do, it's like, we'll do it next year. It's like, oh, okay, next year maybe. But uh, I think that just wanted made me want to do it even more. And every year I just kind of pushed very hard for us to do it. And we finally kind of got back into it. And then from there, it's just been like full steam ahead for the last almost 10 years now that we got back into it. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about um, some of the robots that you built during that that thirteen year span. Um, I know that you've built robots for different weight classes. You compete a lot locally. You know, um, Matthew, do you have like a robot from your childhood that you really connected with um, that you built with your dad and your brother? You know, and really loved to drive. You know, same thing for Jason. Uh, that's a good question. So when when we finally, I think we started. We had a gap between maybe like 2006 or like 2007 and 2010. We didn't really do anything. And then RoboGames 2011, we got back into it and brought a lightweight and a middleweight to RoboGames. And I think, and an antweight. So I think my brother drove an antweight. I drove a lightweight. My dad drove a middleweight. And me and my brother were like elementary school or like maybe just starting middle school. We were both you know really little. But uh, we did that for... A few years and then RoboGames stopped for one year. So there was, or it was, they said it was canceled. It was really just they took a break, but they told everyone that they were done with RoboGames. So we're like, okay, well, there's no big robot events anymore. Let's start doing smaller robots. I mean, it's, it's honestly kind of better in a lot of ways. It's more affordable. We could build a bunch of them. It's, you know, a lot easier. So me and Jason kind of got obsessed with building tiny robots, like right, I don't know, 2013 or something like that. But yeah, we just got super obsessed with building tiny robots. We'd build, we'd have like six or seven of them. We bring to like local competitions, and we do like maybe three or four competitions a year. And we got really good at it. We would just, we spent so much time doing it and going to so many competitions 
it's, you know, we had so much fun that it was, you know, it was a kind of a, an obsession for us almost. But uh, yeah, if I'm thinking of like a, we've built so many robots, you know, our family, it's kind of hard to pinpoint one that had, I don't know, you, can you think of anything? I mean, for me personally, the year, the first year that we came back, we bought the antweight, lightweight, and middleweight. I think the lightweight probably got destroyed the worst. We bought a Toro, <laughs> Toro, light. Toro light from uh, Brazil, Brazil Minotaur. Yeah, Daniel Freitas was my first big arena fighter ever, and he knocked me out in like three seconds, three wow. or four seconds. <laughs> but then luckily after that, the robot that he destroyed was Sabertooth 6.0, and we went on to rebuild that together and called it Sabertooth 6.0 again. And I think that was like the first big robot that we all built together. Like it definitely was, and it kind of resembled a lot of like current day Bite Force, which is kind of cool, just considering how good that robot is. Sabretooth wasn't nearly as good, but I'd say it was like the first like good bonding building yeah. experience. Yeah, it seems like I, I, I was looking at your list of robots you've built in the past. It seems like you've built almost every major type of robot. Um, maybe a full body spinner. I mean, like, are are there any that you're missing that you haven't built yet? We've done full body. We've or Jason did Jason a full did body spinner. A twelve pound. A twelve and fifteen pounder kind of varied. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, we've we've built so many robots. Like like I was. I mean, lately we've slowed down a bit in the last few years. But in that period where we got super into insect robots, we would bring like five or six new robots to every event. It's we just had so many parts, and we just you know I'd get bored of robots really quick. Even if it was a good robot, and, you know, won the event, and be like, oh, I'm done with this. I'm gonna build something new for the next one. And through that, we've built so many robots. Like just myself, I probably built like twenty robots, <laughs> and as a team, probably a lot more than that. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm curious. Um, you know, for Matthew, Jason, you know, separately, what what part is more exciting to you? Like, is it the competing and the driving and winning, or is it the designing and building and kind of thinking about um, theoretically how to make a better robot? Uh, I like all of it. I mean, I think the most fun part is definitely competing, and especially when your robot's working well. That's that's when it's most fun. But uh, I definitely enjoy building, and I I enjoy designing a lot, doing CAD, and uh, you know, thinking of new creative ways to solve problems or to win fights that maybe other people haven't thought of. And a lot of the times, just you know, seeing something someone else did and trying to do it better. But uh, I I like the driving and fighting aspect a lot. I think that's what a uh, it's different for everyone, though. I mean, I think for me, that's kind of what keeps me in it. But a lot of people don't really care about winning, and they care about, you know, building something fun or the engineering challenge of it more. Uh, me personally, I think I'd say it used to be tied in between driving and designing. But then, as Matthew kind of took more of the driving role with Whiplash, I kind of learned to appreciate the problem solving, and kind of like challenge of building a little more. So I'd probably say the like problem solving designing part. I'd love to, to transition over into TV and film and commercials because I think it's such a cool part of your family's story. Um, so uh, I guess, can you, can you introduce us to, to this? You know, how sure. did it start? Um, you're based in Southern California. Now you've produced these robots for so many different things. You know, uh -huh. like how did you get sucked into like building robots for, for Hollywood? It's been 100% word of mouth. And um, for a while, most of the jobs that were out there, they just funneled my way, um, you know, and it's just, it was just 
that is the that's like the icing on the cake because it's really gratifying you know you get to you get to build really cool things there's pressure there's a lot of pressure but that's really kind of no different than BattleBots, you know. You well, feel the same pressure. It's kind of like yeah. if you you're lose, getting paid. If, if you lose the fight on the TV show, yeah. it's, that's you've messed up really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but if you lose a fight for for a competition, that's that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, you know, and and you're kind of like the star in a way. You know, a lot of people are just, you know, I can't tell you how many. When you say, you know, you do BattleBots on a TV set with like movie stars and tv stars and all that they all go oh that is the coolest thing i love that show they get a big smile on their face makes them happy it's it's been very gratifying but uh to answer your question it all came from word of mouth um and um i forget who referred me to the first jobs Was this Steve but Judd? yeah i think steve judd may have referred me to um to zoe 101 and um you know the rest was history do you have a do you, do you have a favorite build or like a favorite show that you've worked on? Um, maybe like a really cool experience that, that you want to tell us more about. A favorite build of the TV show. Well, Zoe One Hundred One was really cool, and because I built three different robots for that show, and uh, I worked in conjunction with Ted Shimoda, who was a genius back in the day he still is a genius but he was so far ahead of his time with with BattleBots back in the comedy central days that you know no one not many people know about it but he he was amazing anyway i worked with him and a couple of my other friends rick and and uh brad hansett and a bunch of guys and those robots were pretty cool because that was a really cool shoot you know, because we literally blew up a robot, the biggest explosion I've ever seen. I mean, it was really cool that I'd be, ever been around. Um, it was just a really cool experience. Good robots, a lot of energy, good creativity, and and uh, was a, it was really fun to work on. The last one also was pretty good, which was the neighborhood. That was really cool because I really liked those robots a lot um building those and you know i've been really fortunate the producers and, and art directors have given me basic kind of thumbnail sketches of what they want and they basically kind of deferred to me and what the design should be so you know and that's been pretty cool yeah for me i think definitely my favorite one we've done was the borderlands 3 commercial for the video game yeah um, like they gave us like we had like maybe two weeks notice to yeah. build a robot for that. And they kind of gave us like a sketch of what the commercial would be and what the robot would kind of look like and what it would need to do. And at first we were just like, no, nah, I don't think we could do it. And then we were just like, we just decided to, we're just going to push through it and do whatever it takes. Cause it sounded super fun. And when we got there originally, what was supposed to happen is we were just supposed to build this hammer robot that was supposed to smash a Roomba in the commercial. So we're like, okay, that's what we're doing. Like that sounds straightforward. And we had Jason's, lightweight from robo games which just hadn't been used in a few years was just sitting there so i pretty much took the spinner off and built a hammer that put it in its place so it was jason's robot just with a hammer on it instead of a spinner and we built the shell for all the you know aesthetics and stuff but after we got there they're like okay change your plans you're going to smash the roomba but you're also going to destroy this whole entire living room <laughs> so when they told me that i was like are you serious like that sounds amazing <laughs> i mean that's kind of one of those things it's when you build a combat robot, like your first instinct is like, okay, I just want to like destroy as much stuff as possible with it. But uh, when we got to do that, I was like, this is like, 
this is crazy. This is an opportunity that, I mean, for this to be a paid job to destroy a whole entire living room set <laughs> with a robot you built, I mean, that's, to me, it doesn't really get better on that. Well, I remember Matthew saying to me, I don't really get it, so we're getting paid for this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that commercial. Like, it is, it looks like chaos. Um, and, yeah. and like, that robot is so destructive on the set. It, it really was. <laughs> it's it's not far off from what it really was. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you know, oh, the Big Bang Theory, like building yeah. Monty for the Big Bang Theory, um, like the robots were such a big part of the the yeah. um, that episode. Um, and like, can, and like that really cool shot of the robot coming through the door and like, right. you know, um, yeah. can, you, can you tell us more about, about that shoot? Yeah, again, well, I, um, through word of mouth, I got that job and the, uh, one of the producers, Faye came out here, out here with her husband and who was, uh, one of the special effects guys. And um, you know, I showed them what we had and, and there were great platforms cause we used Debbot and we used uh Sabertooth basically for a platform. And then we built on those. So the show was a blast. Again, I worked with my friend, Ted Shimoda and, and Rick and, um, and so we did all the driving, all the stunts, everything. Um, uh, the, there was a crew that helped us fabricate the robots cause it was again, a very tight timeline we built those robots in less than two weeks and shot it for a week straight and did a live audience um shoot as well so it was very stressful but um you know we were able to put it together and it came off great and so. it's, it's also a lot of pressure because it's kind of like it's not like when you're in a fight like if you fire a weapon and miss it's like okay whatever i'll try again with this it's kind of like you need to be on point for everything there's not if they if you're missing your shots or you know screwing up the shoot they're not going to be very happy with you yeah <laughs> like, failure is not an option there's yeah. huge amounts of money involved and time is money with them and you have stars that are making you know six figures a, a week and uh, if not more and um you know so the pressure is on and those robots were really the focus of the show so you know through BattleBots, you learn how to make a really tough, dependable robot. And so far, we're batting a thousand with that for all these shows that we've done. Yeah. That you know, we we build them and we show up with a functioning robot that does what they want it to do and looks how they want it to look. We perform, and boom, it's you know they've all turned out pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to switch gears again and talk about uh modern battle bots um so let's let's do a little bit of a flashback all of a sudden you i assume get a call from an extremely excited trey roski <laughs> who's telling you we got abc holy cow we want you guys to build us a robot um so let's talk about splatter and the abc seasons and what it was like kind of kind of putting the boots back on as it were yeah so at that point in time, that was when me and Jason were like super into building insect robots. That was when I was still in high school, and I think Jason had just started high school. But yeah, we were super into building insect robots, and we're building you know tons of robots at a time. And you know, we got the call that you know BattleBots is back, and that you know it's you have to put in an application. So like, design your robot, tell us about it, do all your 
you know, wiring diagrams, tell us about your team. So it was kind of like our dad was pretty much like, okay, we're going to do an application. Like you guys design something and we'll submit it and we'll see what happens. So we kind of originally we were thinking of building something based off my like Beetle 8 overhead saw robot. So we had like a four wheel drive platform and an arm and a disc on it. So that was like our base. So originally it was kind of supposed to be a saw blade style robot where we'd pin them and hit them over the top. But then I slowly sort of realized that, okay, why don't I put, you know, some fork sticking out the back so it could be a lifter too. And then I kind of realized, I'm like, okay, I like this more. We'll do a, a lifter vertical spinner instead of a overhead cutter. So the, the idea for splatter slash whiplash kind of came about very organically. And it wasn't just like, okay, this is what we're building. Here's our idea. We just kind of, we just kind of did it with not much of a plan, to be completely honest. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was no time for a plan. Yeah. And I mainly remember just how much everybody was thinking we got to build something creative out of the box that's going to get on the show just because there were a limited amount of spots. It was like really exciting and a lot of people were trying to do it. So I think that's what kind of made us do something that we hadn't really seen before in another robot. So. Yeah, no, the great yeah, thing about BattleBoss. pushed us to yeah. try something new. Yeah, exactly. Like the great thing about BattleBoss coming back on TV is that the application process, it definitely pushed people to try things that they wouldn't necessarily try before because you know the design of whiplash six years ago i wouldn't think it would be competitive and i probably wouldn't touch that design but being that it's for battle bots it's that you kind of need to have that extra level of the robot being not just effective but it needs to be interesting so and it turned out that it happened to be an, uh, an effective design that you know with enough work put in it could uh it could win some fights and it's still unique there's no other robot that has you know, two weapons, two primary weapons, basically, our lifter and our, and our disc. So, you know, we've we've uh, improved on both of those even. So, you know, this coming season, it's really going to be something. So tell us a little bit about the switch from Splatter to Whiplash. What was the impetus behind the rebranding and the redesign? Uh, I would just say the RoboGames event in between the two BattleBots events, we went with the name Whiplash because... The year, well, yeah. prior to the first like rerun of BattleBots, we went to Robo Games with a heavyweight, our first heavyweight in like a long time, and that one was named Whiplash. So then, when we went back to Robo Games, we brought Splatter, but we called it Whiplash. Right. And then it did way better than Splatter, so we figured we'd keep the momentum of the name, so we kept it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Splatter we, lost. Whiplash wins. Yeah. That, that that was, was pretty much, much it. it. Yeah, yeah. No, we, okay. <laughs> for for I think it was Robo Games 2017. We we were you know super excited. We were building tons of robots for it, and we had a heavyweight that fought at BattleBots, but just had a few tiny little things that completely just you know lost us our fights. That we didn't even really get to show what it could do at all. So we figured for Robo Games, we take that robot and just fix those few tiny things that, you know, were ended up being completely detrimental to us. And in fixing those little things, we were able to get second place at Robo Games with it. So once that happened, we were like, okay, like we have something good. We just need to keep pushing this design and keep keep improving it. Yeah. yeah. So that brings us to our very first listener question. This is a good segue actually. Uh, so Jonas Kurz asks, "What's the made the big di uh, what made the big difference between Splatter and Whiplash, and what was Splatter's biggest flaw?" So yeah, just elaborate on that a little bit more. I think this isn't necessarily like a mechanical flaw or anything, but 
I think a big part of why why Splatter didn't do very well was, especially in season two, we were very focused on the aesthetics of the robot. You know, getting mm. the shells to look right and just getting it to look how we wanted it to, and just finishing it on time. Like we really didn't test much of it at all, to be completely honest. And in doing that, you just have tiny little stupid things that you wouldn't think of that go wrong. Like in season two, we our first fight against. Uh, I think it was Warrior Clan, went terrible just because we broke one drive sprocket, just broke, and the chain fire lifter broke. So, like, right then and there, it's we're down to half drive and no weapon. So, you know, by the time we went to RoboGams, we're like, okay, we'll use a slightly different chain, we'll use a slightly different sprocket, and just in doing that, the robot performed so much better. It just takes, you know, a little bit of testing and a just a couple little adjustments to, to make that difference. And the only place you can really test the BattleBot is in, in the box. You know, there's no there's no good analogs for, for testing a, a BattleBot. You, you got to test it in the arena against other BattleBots. So let's go on to our next listener question because I'm super interested in this one myself. Uh, Tabitha Dummett asks, are there any changes for the upcoming season? And then second part of her question is, why is it called Whiplash? <laughs> so they're, they're, the robot is going to be you know, the same design, same basic principle, but it'll look a little bit different, I think, this season. It's pretty much the idea behind it was everything that worked really well, keep the same. And everything that didn't work or you know, reasons why we lost fights, we'd you know, watch fight videos and i go, okay, like this can be changed, this can be changed. So I just tried to address everything that made us lose our fights, if that makes any sense. So I think it was my winter break. I spent like a straight month just on CAD, just trying to think of every little thing that can go wrong or every little thing that did go wrong and trying to improve it. So that I think that's what you could uh, expect in the new Whiplash, just a lot more refined and a, a lot more sturdy. And I mean, looking back to last year's Whiplash, I just look at it and go like, okay, like why did we do this, why do we do that? Like, that makes no sense. Like, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty in that way. And you know, with this extra time with coronavirus, that's also giving us even more time to think about it. So like, we would have been fighting, you know, a month ago, but every time you go to BattleBots and you finish your robot, you go, ah, oh, man, I wish I had an extra week. Like we could have done this, this, and this, but now we do have that extra week. We have that extra month. So it's, it's kind of, we're just going to try to use all of it to our advantage and, uh, you know, when there's an event in the future, we'll we'll be ready with it. You know, the, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, you really can't do much better than we did. I mean, we've only lost to the two champions. Right. Uh, <laughs> and Tombstone. And Witch Doctor. And Witch Doctor, who was, came in second. So, you know, you really can't do much better, but it is the tiny little things. And I'll just let one cat out of the bag is we got new wheels. I mean, if you look every fight, we lost wheels. Cause, and that was really the only off the shelf, off the shelf parts we were using, which were the carefrees, which were great. Yep. But we lost wheels. So thankfully, you know, the robot's great, and Matt's an awesome driver. He was able to drive on three wheels, and sometimes even two. And we still would win. But, you know, we would lose points. And we were lucky to get some of those decisions because we lost wheels. And, you know, that's damage. So now yep. we uh, got the guys from Warrior Dragon to in Brazil to make us some new wheels. So Black Dragon. Black Dragon, sorry. Black Dragon. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we, we had them custom make some wheels for us. And um, 
you know, so if you look at Black Dragon, that's what our wheels will look like now. Uh, so they're a little bit lower profile, a little bit wider, a lot more grippy, and a very, very tough. I mean, um, I was watching some of their fights, and they got hit by Donald's robot, and yeah. it didn't even chunk them at all, yeah. you know. So the tires stayed intact. Yeah. Which is something we're looking for. So that's a major improvement. Well, like as far as like specific improvements go, the the disc will be a little bit bigger in diameter and a little bit thinner. The robot will be low profile. Our tires were ten inches last year. Now they're eight inches. So our ground clearance is going to be lower. So I'll have a lower center of gravity, and we'll be better off in pushing fights and things like that. And uh, one other change is we got rid of shock mounts for our front armor. So the front armor is all hard mount hard mounted now. Oh wow! So. We're hoping that that, I mean, every fight we lost, when it comes down to it, is because our front armor came off. Most yeah. most of the time we lose, especially against a Witch Doctor and against Tombstone, we pretty much lost because our front armor fell off. Because when the armor comes off, our front wheels are exposed, and then they can just go to town on us. So uh, I think keeping the front armor on will go a long way for us. That's interesting. So uh, you're getting chunkier wheels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe that is the technical term. Yeah, um, correct. Uh, and then you're getting a little bit thinner blade. You're going to get a lower center of gravity. These are all really good ideas. I will say you guys were subject to a lot of, um, you know, backseat builder, put <laughs> wheel guards on your robot comments on Reddit oh. last season. So yeah. um, I appreciate the idea of just going with better wheels. That's for sure. And man, Black Dragon's wheels are awesome. So that's really cool. Um, so... I have another question, and this is just a personal question before we move on to the next kind of series of questions we want to get into, which is the Amazon Remars event. Um, so this is for the whole Vasquez family. Who's the best driver in BattleBots? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, wow. well, the thing about that question is a lot of people like say, like, oh, like this person's the best driver, this person's the best driver, you know, this person's the best driver, but... I think a lot of it has to do with what robot they're driving. I mean, because if you give, you know, the best driver in the world, a robot that goes three miles an hour and, you know, doesn't have good armor, has no weapon, everyone's going to go, oh, that driver sucks. Like, he can't do anything. But in reality, a lot of it has to do with the robot you're driving. And I think a lot of people see Whiplash as a robot that's driven really well because it's a very, like, animated robot. We have, you know, the spinner, the lifter. You know, it's, it's pretty quick. So in controlling all that, it's, I guess, maybe that makes it seem more impressive and that, you know, we're able to get under a lot of robots. But yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the robot you're driving. So it's, honestly, I couldn't pinpoint who the best driver was for that reason. If you gave everyone, you know, if everyone drove Original Sin and fought against each other, yeah, you could find out who the best driver is, but, you know, that's not, that's not the reality of BattleBots. No, that's just Gary Jinn, and then everybody goes home. Right, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you do control every aspect of that bot yourself, right? You don't have – nobody operates weapons on there. That's yeah. just you yeah. running the whole thing. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm I'm definitely not a fan of having a separate weapon operator just because if you have a separate weapon operator, there's some, like – there's a need for, like, a communication between the driver and the person using the weapon. And I think any time you spend communicating – is time that you've lost and time that, you know, could have, you know, any every split second counts in BattleBots. So uh, I think it's important to have everything under control yourself. And, you know, if, say, you have a hammer robot and someone's firing the hammer when you don't want to, that's going to throw you off. 
So I think the, personally, I think the communication it takes to have two, two drivers, the cons outweigh the benefits, in my opinion. But oh, it works for a lot of people. A lot of people like it. But, I'm not sure many other people's brains could control that many aspects of the robot at the same time in the moment either. So <laughs> Matthew's special. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for not answering my question. That was a great non answer. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Amazon Remars. Um, so you guys had a really good showing. Uh, you know, anybody that can go out and make uh, Donald Hudson lose a match is is doing great in the BattleBots world. Uh, so tell us about like live BattleBots, what that was like for you guys. If you guys, I mean, I'd imagine your experience, you know, kind of having to do things last minute on film sets and, and making sure that everything worked perfectly um, really helped you out for the live audience experience. So so tell yeah. us tell us yeah. a little bit about that. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like, so fun. I would, so fun. I would love if there were more events like that. Because yeah. in BattleBots, in the, you know, the TV show, you lose a little bit of the aspect of having to repair really quick and being ready in you know, 30 minutes for your next fight, which you would get at RoboGames. You get at you know, any small events that are going on. But uh, at Remars, I kind of brought that back a little bit, and that was kind of cool for me. But, uh, yeah, the back-to-back -back fights was awesome. Having the live crowd there was awesome. Oh, the pressure was cool. I mean, at BattleBots, if a lot of times at BattleBots, robots go in, they don't work right. They pull them out, put the next fight in, they fix them and bring it back. It, at the at Remars, that really wasn't an option. So they had to choose robots that they knew would be reliable and that they knew would perform how they wanted to. But having the arena outdoors at night in yeah. Vegas, it was just really you fun. You know, in the middle of that speedway, we're right next to uh, Travis Air Force Base. So you have F-16 and F-35 fighters flying over one side. We're right literally next to the Ferrari and Lamborghini experience. So there's Ferraris and Lamborghinis racing on Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And we're here with this 100,000-pound BattleBots arena getting ready to fight in front of, you know, thousands of people. It was, <laughs> it was like Gladiator come to life. It was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was a very fun thing to watch just as a spectator. It really kind of had like an air of specialness to it because it was at night, because it was live, uh, because you could kind of go behind the scenes um, and, and see what was going on. It was so fun. I really also hope that uh, uh, one day they're able to kind of bring that format back. Us yeah. too. Yeah, yeah no, really. I mean, I think they're... BattleBots, I think, is definitely interested in doing that. It's it's just a matter of you know more opportunities like this that yeah. come along. But yeah, I definitely hope there's more in the future. Yeah, it was great. And with Chris and Kenny there, it was and, and Farouk. Farouk. Yeah, you know, it was like you know the gang's all back, and that's really how it was. And it was it was so much fun. They were great. So we have a bunch of listener questions for you. So I'm going to spit them out at you. Uh, the first is a series of three questions from Matthew Cahoy. Uh, the first is, uh, does Matt have a driving training regimen? We do not really have any driver training. I mean, at most, we just drive the robot around the street and just, you know, flip stuff over and practice that way. <laughs> But for this season, I mean, lately we've all been kind of busy, but I think when things calm down for us a little bit, we're going to get working on the robots again. And the hope is to get, the hope is at BattleBots to have two full robots running. Nice. So right now we kind of have one robot running and the other one's kind of ready to put together. 
So my plan is to get both of them together, and then we get a spot with them in the street and practice that way. Yeah, Matt and Jason doing that, like the old days when they used to do that with their ant weights and beetle weights and stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, I will say that the little robots were the best training for them because both Matt and Jason, you know, they build these robots, they hang them out there. They had so many fights, and there's no substitute for experience. And they both got the killer instinct. And, you know, I think <laughs> – and I think head to head, Jason has probably beat Matt more than than the other way, you know. So it's it's really been great for both of them. Man. The real test will be when we have two whiplashes built. <laughs> yeah, Matthew's driving one, the other. We'll see who the real best driver is. Yeah, street fight. But and one thing we used to do, which was pretty funny, is it's been a long time since we did this. But back when we were super into insects, we would uh we would like in the garage, we'd both spend like two hours just building a fairy weight out of like you know, random servos and motors and stuff and not like spinners, just like lifters. And we do like coffee table sumo fights where we just practice against each other. I think that helped too. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's the hope is to do a, a big version of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I imagine you kind of have to get creative because you know, it, it's, you can't really drive like a full powered spinning yeah. combat robot around without a, without a box. So, um, yeah, yeah. Our association kind of frowns upon that. <laughs> We've seen videos of uh, some builders like testing it out in their garage or their driveway, and we're always like, oh. <laughs> well, the, the great thing about Whiplash is that the spinner is really secondary. It's just yeah. you know, really a secondary weapon. So for we can safely do you know fights against each other just using the lifter just on the street. So, I mean, that's really no no less safe than just driving the robot around, considering that yeah. there's no spinning weapons going. Yeah, that's that's uh, pretty cool. Um, yeah. The second question was, is there a particular inspiration for Whiplash? I know you kind of answered that already. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add. Uh, there's definitely some, uh, I would say, the one team or robot that has the most inspiration in Whiplash is probably like a Sewer Snake and Stinger from uh, Team Plum Crazy and like Matt Maxim. There's definitely a lot of sewer snake in Whiplash. Just how the chassis is put together, you know, uh, how our drive works. We have, you know, two short mag motors chained together. That was taken from something Matt Maxim did. And like the Apex gearboxes we use, there's definitely a lot of sewer snake in Whiplash, I would say. And we really miss them and want them to come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh Last question from Matthew. Will we see another color scheme for 2020 or 2021? <laughs> Hopefully no. <laughs> the, the, change in, the change in color scheme is, it was not like, oh, like this season we want to be this color, this season we want to be this color. It was really just a change in sponsorship. It's We had a, our, sponsor, our old sponsor, Molex, they dropped out one year. And then we got our new sponsor, Megat, which was amazing. And then we're like, okay, now we'll make the robot green for their color. It's a... You know, the least we can do for uh, yeah. for having them as our sponsor, but um, yeah, that's that's where the color change came from. We we don't plan on any color changes in the future. We're uh, we're we're very lucky to have the sponsors we have. Yeah, yeah, we are really lucky. But the only thing is, I wish we knew is whether it's green or yellow. Green is yellow. I mean, we've heard it both ways. The, the, the internet is the internet is split on that. Yeah, they, they can't make up their mind. <laughs> We'll have to do a behind the pots poll on our, our next post. <laughs> I see green, but I also see slightly colorblind. So there are some yellows out there, though. It's weird. 
Uh, Tom Brisbane asks, would you ever consider swapping the disc for a spinning bar if opponent design required the need for such a swap? Uh, honestly, probably not. Because one, well, the main reason people would use a vertical spinning bar is that's normally best when you're fighting a horizontal spinner. And we kind of have a different plan for horizontal spinners this year that wouldn't really allow us to do that. But uh, I like having the disc on Whiplash because most spinners are able to allocate like all their weapon weight to just like a vertical spinner. And when they do that, they can make it weigh you know, 40, 50 pounds, which can do a, deal a ton of damage, even if it's a bar or a disc. But for us, our weapon can only weigh 20 pounds. So for a heavyweight, that's not really a lot of weight. So to get any sort of punch, it's better to do a disc just because you could get more inertia that way. Having a you know a ring on the outside that carries all the weight on the outside with just like a small hub on the inside, some spokes. So I think with the disc, we could get more power behind our weapon. So for us, that's definitely a big advantage. So I don't think you would see Whiplash having a bar spinner anytime soon, but you never know. In the future, it could be we could uh, see some benefits to it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, listener Sumi Shik wants to know, metalwork question. What do you suggest for bonding a large model without welding devices? So whiplash is pretty much all MIG welded. The frame is all welded, welded aluminum, and the armor is all welded steel. But uh, if you're not going to be doing welding, there's a lot of robots that are just straight bolted together that have zero welding on them. Like one good example is Chomp. That robot has really, I mean, maybe besides like the outer shell, but there's like barely any. It's pretty much 90% of the important stuff is just water jet and bolted together. So I think you could definitely build a competitive robot with no welding at all and just, you know, using yeah. bolting. You have to be really well designed and, and engineered. But I mean, not even that really. I mean, yeah, if, if you, you, you could do it. I mean, but you'd want the pieces to fit together to be as strong as possible, but it can be done. And if you look at the smaller weight classes, like outside of BattleBots, you rarely see much welding at all. So it's it's definitely doable without welding. It's not something you need to, to build a full-scale BattleBot. Um, Monsoon Captain Tom Brewster asks, how would you feel about fighting Monsoon? Smiley face. <laughs> the, the new Monsoon looks great. It's funny. I saw like the the first picture of it, and they're like, oh, like the armor is twice as thick. I'm like, it looks like the same. How'd they manage to do that? And then I saw a picture of it next to like the old one. I was like, oh, my God, it's half the size. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little baby but, next to uh, last year's. That's awesome. I, I'd love to do that whiplash. But uh, no, they, it looks very tough. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen the new one fight yet. But uh, yeah, we'd like to fight them. It's they're yeah. one of the they're one of the you know popular robots we haven't been up against yet. So uh, yeah, we'd we'd love to see what happens. Woohoo! You heard it here, folks. There is a battle brewing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mad Catter teammate Calvin Eba, who competes in Southern California with the very successful Beetleweight Lynx, asks, "Why are your wedges so upright? And when are you guys going brushless?" For the the wedge question, that was really, I honestly didn't put a whole lot of thought into that wedge design. The In season three of BattleBots, the wedges we used were initially meant for robo games, but we didn't finish them in time. And when I designed it for robo games, it was like a very last second thing. I was just like, okay, I'm going to design this really quick, send it out, get a water jet cut. And then when BattleBots came around, I'm like, we have these wedges we never used. We should weld it up and use it. And it just kind of worked well. So when season four came around, I just designed them pretty much the same way and they worked. But uh, 
last season I definitely they definitely weren't the best and we're moving away from that for this season. The you probably won't be seeing that exact army configuration again. Yeah. But uh and then for the brushless question, at this point it's kinda for us is don't fix what's not broken. It's the drive and the, the weapon motors and the lifter was one of the things on the robot that worked flawlessly last season. And there's definitely a lot of other stuff for us to put our attention towards. And but there are, you know, a lot of robots using brushless drives successfully. But I mean, even if you look at like say if you look at the top sixteen for the last two years, very few or you know, really none of the robots in there have been brushless at this to this point. So it's uh, I think it's getting there. And I think like I saw Duck, the brushless drive that he did, it looks really solid. Yeah. And like that gives me some confidence that in the future we could, you know, give it a try. But I think at this point, it's still kind of, you know, Bite Force, Tombstone, Witch Doctor, you know, Minotaur. It's all still, you know, just straight mag motors for drive. And uh, I think I think very soon, though, it'll be everyone's brushless yeah. in the next couple of years. Yeah. But for now, we're just playing it safe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's working now, yeah. why, why rush to change it? <laughs> yeah. And plus, it takes a lot of, you know, experiment, experimenting to do that and, you know, uh, a lot of testing, which I don't know if we necessarily thought we would have the time for this season. I mean, now in hindsight, we kind of do. But uh, if BattleBots was to have happened back in April, there's yeah. no way we could have made that fly. Yeah. 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 All right. Hard hitting question. Very serious from Bale Spear Captain Earl Pancos III. He wants to know. How is it that they are the absolute nicest people on earth? <laughs> I don't know about that, but, yeah. <laughs> but thank you, Earl. That's, yeah. that's just what TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> don't believe everything you see. Yeah, that's we're just, what we're the... just the Brady Bunch on TV. Yeah. <laughs> Carefully cultivated. Uh... We're actually Look. horrible. <laughs> Somehow I just don't believe it. <laughs> Slamo Captain Craig Danby asks for Debbie, winky face, which is her favorite son and why is it Jeff? <laughs> I love Craig. <laughs> Craig. Craig's my favorite son. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, we have some deeply philosophical questions from BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, so the first is, how big was Fred when you got him, and how big is he now? <laughs> okay, so they're talking about the tortoise. I don't know. Did she mention it was a tortoise? Good question if no one knew who Fred was. <laughs> um, Fred, I got Fred, and actually it was Fred and Ethel. Um, for Jeff, as like a birthday present or something, yeah. like oh, like about twenty years ago, yeah. and they were tiny, tiny, they tiny were like little tortoises. Yeah, they were little, and we had them in like a big tank. Um, and Jeff had mentioned African sulcata tortoises, so I went out and got them without really researching that they would grow to be bigger than our dog. <laughs> Whoa. Else. And everything else. So um, Fred is how, how much would you say Fred weighs He's now? 80 pounds. He's like about 80 pounds right now. Probably outlive us. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so we're gonna will him to somebody that we don't like. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 80 pounds. That is gigantic. 
a yeah. lot of tortoise. Yeah, he's uh, he's growing on me now after about 20 years. For what he's not mean and just kind of like misunderstood. He's misunderstood. <laughs> is he a, is he the type of turtle that like can come out from the water for a little bit of time? Oh, or he's, or he's a tortoise. He's a tortoise. No water. He's six oh. fucking. <laughs> but Jeff built him like this a long time ago built him like this awesome little tortoise condo it's like this big house that has like a heater in it and a little flap door that he could go in when he wants to get away <laughs> that's amazing but um yeah no he like totally like walks all around our yard and moves, oh, the furniture around. moves our furniture around and <laughs> yeah. I love that he and the dog kind of cohabitate. They just kind of they ignore each they other. They kind of ignore each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a, that's the next question. Uh, how do Fred and Willie get along? And do either ever make appearances at BattleBots filming? Uh, she adds, selfishly, I have to ask because I want to pet those good boys so badly. Aww. <laughs> We'd love to bring Willie with us, but no dogs are allowed. It's yeah. that's like the hard one of the hardest parts about being away for so long yeah. is we really miss her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Out of all the robots you've made for TV and other projects, which is your favorite? I would say the Borderlands 3 robot. I think. I don't know what your opinion Jay, what is. what do you think? Uh, if it's including competitions, I'd say Whiplash. Well, it's for like TV show, like oh, TV jobs. Uh, probably Borderlands or Quick and Lens. I kind of like... Um, I, I think maybe like... The Zoe robot. I like the teeny tiny Zoe one. Tiny yeah. Zoe one the little like tiny Zoe uh, killer robot that destroyed everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely I like driving the Borderlands robot because for the commercial it was, you know, they had the Roomba and we kind of had to hit it first try. It was like if we missed, yeah. it was like that's that's no good. We had to get the perfect shot first try. So I was just practicing with the robot in the garage, just like smashing a bunch of stuff and just doing target practice with it, getting really good at it, and that that was pretty fun. So that high pressure. Al Kindle's always like discouraging people from building hammer bots. But it's because he wants it just for himself. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. <laughs> they're actually very fun. <laughs> you get to keep those bots after you build them for other projects. Uh, a lot of the time, how it'll be is we'll we'll build the robot and then we'll like give like the shell to the the you know producers, people the producers. The, the, they, the producers like to have them for like their trophy cases. So <laughs> I have given, given them, you know, uh, like for the neighborhood show, they, they kept both the robots. I, I gave it to, to the producers. I pulled all the guts out of course, so it could, they could never be driven or operated again, but you know, aesthetically they're all, they're all there. Yeah, so. But like the, the borderlands robot, we still have that one. They didn't, they didn't buy that one from yeah. us, or they didn't want that one. And the Ramchata commercial, we did. We we have a few Roombas extra, so if you need <laughs> any parts, let me know. <laughs> uh, so another question for Mary Catherine Carr. If you didn't have robots to unite you as a family, what pastime do you think you'd have taken up as a hobby? Uh, I like to think that we would travel more, just considering BattleBots takes up like two weeks out of the year. It kind of cuts into travel time and... Yeah, time and time off school yeah. and money and so we'd probably travel Life. more as a family. Yeah, yeah. I say BattleBots is definitely a, a big chunk of our yearly vacation. Yeah, but <laughs> or, otherwise, yeah. hobby-wise, though, I mean, 
as a family, I don't know, but like Matt plays tennis and and skateboards and Jason does mountain does mountain biking and BMX riding and yeah, we all have our own hobbies outside of battle bots. Yeah. Um, for Jeff and Debbie, once the boys started showing interest in robots, what did you do to keep that going? I think we kept them going. Yeah. <laughs> He's not yeah. lying. I'm not lying. Because <laughs> after BattleBot, I mean, they were when they were little kids, they would build them out of Legos and cardboard. paper mache, Anything they could cardboard, find. and we couldn't throw out any boxes and, and you know anything that and... painters tape and so you know and I was going to Steel Conflict and Robo Games and. And um, all that kind of stuff still for a few years afterwards, after the show ended. So, you know, and we can't, they didn't watch a lot of TV sometimes. They were building Lego yeah. battle bots, you know, yeah. fighting We, we each didn't other. really have so, to entertain them. They yeah. they were constantly designing and building and, and um, I guess and, just to support them. I mean, yeah. we, we just supported them in their interest and showed interest in what they yeah. were doing and, we're happy to take them to competitions and yeah. it was just really fun family time together. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just encourage them to do what we're, they love doing. We're very fortunate. So. Yeah. No, in, a, in a lot of ways, it really was kind of the opposite. It was like, I mean, I think cause my dad had already been doing it for a, a while and he was starting to get a little bit burnt out. And I was just like as motivated as ever to go to robot events. Completely. So I think me and Jason a little bit kind of just pulled us back into it. I would say. Yeah, I yeah. just wanted to go on a normal vacation, but that, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true love. Yeah. <laughs> I think back to when I was growing up, I, I played soccer, and, and my parents must have gone to 10 years worth of just boring soccer games where I didn't even really do much. <laughs> and I'm yeah. sure I wish that uh, I had gotten into robots. I think that they would have been a little more into yeah, it. I mean, you know, it's exciting. It's fun. It was so much fun to watch, watch them and, and watch them fight, but also to watch them learn how to build and, and you know, they basically built everything, you know, um, they, they did it on their own. They were lucky. I mean, obviously we had all the tools and a bunch of supplies and everything, but basically it was their creativity, you know, and their, their passion that came out in the arena and it still does. And really nothing makes us happier than when we see yeah. them working together, yeah. which is happening a little bit less and less right now, just at their age range yeah. and that they're in college and yeah. have, Jason has a lot of other interests. <laughs> we're trying to, we're, I'm, I'm, trying to reel him back in because I don't want to lose him. Yeah. Otherwise, we might be putting out an ad for a fourth team member. We're <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> taking applications. <laughs> you got to have curly hair, though. <laughs> uh, so what would you suggest parents with kids showing interest in building bots do to nurture that? Legos. <laughs> Legos. And let them see video, YouTube old battle bot shows and take them and, to events yeah take them to events, events. Sure. buy a, buy a yeah. finger tech kit <laughs> yeah yeah watch, uh, watch wish shockers videos they're releasing those yeah. i mean i'm watching those and those are fun to watch i think those will be really helpful for uh yeah for like families and little kids wanting to start yeah oh. those are helpful even even for me yeah. <laughs> no, I, to take them seriously too because i think you know little kids are watching the show and say you know saying i want to do that and the parents might be thinking oh well you could never do that but they can you know yeah. so just yeah. not to underestimate your kids yeah i think that's so important just uh just across the board but especially with this yeah, and yeah. like i think it's a uh, a lot of like 
I mean, I'm assuming parents are probably intimidated by it if their kids want to do it. But when it comes down to it, like if you just, you know, go finger tech, buy a kit, is you could have a robot working in a week with zero experience. So it's a, I think anyone can get into it. And I think people think the barriers are bigger than they actually are. And people assume they're just super complicated robots that you need to know all this programming and you need to be a, you know, a machinist and, you know, a craftsman and all this. When in reality, you don't really need to know any of that right off the bat. You could, uh, you know, start from, uh, from knowing nothing and you could build a robot. And so our, our last question, now that the boys will both be in college, what fun will you have with your empty nest? <laughs> uh, we were actually just kind of getting into like a groove of being empty nesters and getting back to like all the things we used to like yeah. to do together, like going to car shows and going to plays and things like that. And then coronavirus happened and they're back. <laughs> <laughs> So um, that's been nice to having them back, but I'm kind of a little bit sad. Like I'm a little worried that when it's time for them to go back, we're going to have to go through that whole thing again of yeah. that whole adjustment of not having them here when we had just finally kind of gotten used to it. Yeah. So, um, but it'll all work out. It'll yeah. all be fine. We'll figure out something. You guys, thank you so much for talking with us, Jeff, Debbie, Matthew, and Jason. I mean, you guys are truly an amazing family with such a, a great story and I think just an inspiration to, to so many families out there. So we really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And we, we just can't wait to see Whiplash in the Battle Box again soon. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank yeah, you. thank you. This is a lot of fun. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we return to Japan, where the humanoid robot Erika will become the first AI to appear in a major motion picture. So they are coming for our acting jobs. Erika uses machine learning to simulate emotions during conversations with humans. She will appear in the new $70 million sci-fi film, B as a robot that escapes human captivity. So there are a lot of uh, videos out there of Erica. I watched one with her creator, who was a, a professor at a, at a school in Japan, if I recall. Um, and it was, uh, it was quite strange. He, uh, he really viewed her as um, an extension of himself, you might say, and uh, was really, really proud of her and uh, was interviewing someone uh, who was like meeting her for the first time and he tried to, to get uh, him to kiss her. So that was, it was something else. What, what do you guys, have, okay. have you seen this? <laughs> um, okay, so I, um, I, I was hoping to go to Japan uh, for the second time a month and a half ago. And one of the big things I really wanted to, to see, um, obviously before coronavirus canceled those, those plans, uh, were the incredibly strange humanoid robots. Um, I went, the last time I was in Japan was like six years ago and went to this really cool science and technology museum in Tokyo. And they have multiple humanoid, like cutting edge humanoid robots that um, are just on display and talking and interacting with people, um, including this really creepy baby robot, like infant robot that you could pick up and sit on the couch and cradle. And this baby had no arms or legs. It was just kind of like a trunk with this, this you know, baby's face. And um, 
like I think the experiment was around like can can you care for a for a robot like you would a baby, and um, it's just unsettling. The whole thing is unsettling, you know. Um, you know, I, I think like when I when I was watching the video of Erica though, the thing I was thinking of is like, uh, what's Erica gonna look like in twenty years from now? You know, like uh, she probably will age because she's a robot. Ooh. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, like her AI is like actually able to like, have a kind of cogent conversation, you know, um, which is weird. And um, I guess we'll have to see, you know, how, how her acting chops are. Johnny Five did spectacular, and that was the 80s. <laughs> True. True. Johnny Five comes up more often than I ever thought he would on this show. <laughs> He was alive. <laughs> I still don't know who Johnny Five is. So, oh what? my God, Lindsay, Lindsay, Ali Sheedy is in that movie. Steve Gutenberg is in that movie. Steve should... Gutenberg. Okay, I also don't know Steve Gutenberg. What? I'm out. <laughs> Hold on. He was in Cocoon for Pete's sake. He's an American classic. He came up with the printing press. They printed the Bible. Ah! <laughs> that that was not the same Gutenberg. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, but why? Why do the these AI like bots always have to take on like a creepy, you know, vibe? Like, how come the creators always have to be like, she's pretty, isn't she? <laughs> you that video. That was the first thing he said. That literally never happened to Johnny Five. Not once. <laughs> It's like a giant mechanical roach, and that's all you need. <laughs> all right, I'm so, googling him. You should Google him. So it's the it's the uncanny valley principle, right? Like the closer you get yeah. to human, you have the the entity. It, it will like it will risk eliciting cold, eerie, creepy feelings because it's not quite human. And I think that mm. this robot goes right to the part of the uncanny valley that makes everyone go, ah, why? Yeah. Uh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this particular robot's design. And uh, I don't blame the robot. I blame the designer. Yeah. Um, actually, now that you say that, I remember in grad school, I um, learned about this study that showed like the closer the if you're using a robot for like instructional purposes, whether it's like a video or like an in person interaction, the closer the robot is to like real like realistic humanoid, the less the um, students learn because they're so preoccupied with like trying to understand the robot and like reconcile it with with you know real people that they've seen that they don't learn anything because they're so preoccupied on the robot and so i wonder like what will that look like then in the movie because are we gonna all be able to pay attention to the plot if we're all just trying to figure out like what is this bot it like looks almost human but like my brain can't quite place it you know okay there's no way this movie's gonna be good like <laughs> This this movie's gonna be on Netflix about a month after it comes out. All right. That's why they're naming the movie B because their A plan didn't really work out that well. <laughs> that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye.
Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.